You know, in the Bible, um, this is not my message, by the way. I'm just chit-chatting here. Um, Moses met with the Lord before he went, you know, he was going through this process with the Lord about delivering Israel out of Egypt. And the Lord was telling him all this stuff that he should do and that and God also explained what he would do. And it was a great conversation. And then at the end of it, Moses asked the Lord a, a very profound question. Well, how do I know that all this is going to happen? Everything you said. And, this, and the Lord gave him a very profound answer. He said, when you're back here worshiping me on this mountain, then you're going to know. Did you get that? This is what it is. You're going to have to go and do it, Moses. And when you do it, that's when you're really going to know. Are you all with me? And that's what the life of faith is all about. It's not about having an ironclad guarantee that everything in your life is going to work out. It's just that is not biblical. You know, we're going to know when we get back, when we... When we when we encounter the Lord and the Lord gives us things and we go do them, that's when we're going to know. So uh, I just said all that, you know, it's, are you ready to preach? Like, we'll find out when I get done. <laughs> now, that's the truth. I was telling my granddaughter, uh, Emma, on the way to church this morning, I was riding, riding with her. I was riding with four of my grandkids, the best people in the world to drive the church with, you know. And if I could just get the other three, I would be just, like, perfect. But... Um, I was saying, oh, man, every time I get on the way to church, I get really nervous. Well, what are you nervous about, Papa? i got to preach today. Well, why are you nervous? Haven't you been doing this forever? <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter because you can do something forever. You can prepare. You can pray. You can seek the Lord. You can do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if the Lord doesn't show up, right, <laughs> you're just left in the lurch. So you're going to be left in the lurch if the Lord doesn't show up. Amen. So I'm just saying all that, but I'm trusting the Lord that He is. You know, we're going to preach and do what we're supposed to do until uh, we don't have anything else to say. That's the key for preaching, having something to say. Amen. Well, I got something to say this morning. Uh, <laughs> you will see, right? That's right, Palmer. You're a good, good man. Lord, help me. <laughs> Brother, let's help them, Lord, because it'll be worse on them than me, because I'll make myself happy one way or the other. I want to read Proverbs twenty four fifteen. It says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. He may fall seven times and rise, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. So what does it say? It says a righteous man will fall. So we're going to, as, as believers, as, righteous, as the righteousness of God in Christ is, we are going to experience failure. Okay? I want to tell you that. Just in case you didn't know that. But I have a feeling most of you know what I'm talking about. I think most of us know that in our walk with God, we're going to experience failure. In fact, it was interesting. He said they're going to fail seven times. Not one time, two times, three times. Seven is completion. In other words, all through your life, until your life is complete, there's going to be failures. Okay, you're going to fall. You're going to I'm not talking about moral failure and all that. I'm talking about just failing in life, failing at what you're supposed to do, failing at what God's called you to do. You're going to experience failure. But the key is, here's the key, is the righteous are going to get back up every time. They're going to get back up, and they're going to keep going. One of the, most, the great tragedies in life is I know some very highly gifted, highly called people who have failed 
not morally, but failed in what God had called them to do, and they never got back up. And they are pitiful. That's how I would describe their life. They're pitiful. They're not happy. They are depressed. They don't have a dream for their life no more. They don't have a vision for their life no more because, because their failure has trapped them. You see, your failure is either going to serve you or it is going to, it is going to take you out. It's one or the other. It's, there's a choice in it. You can choose to let it be your servant. You can choose to let it take you into that place that God's called you to go. And so, you know, the Bible's so full of, of failures. Why? Um, there's many failures. And some, even some of the people in the Bible, if you study it close, God goes into more detail in their failure than he does their success. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, he gives us blow-by-blow blow details of how people have fallen and failed in life, failed at what they, God did. Why? Because God wanted to show us, God wanted to reveal to us that he knows how to turn failure into success. He knows how to turn your mistakes into to the thing that really launches you into what you... He needs, knows how to... Oh, God can just turn anything God can make any bad situation in your life good if you'll cooperate with Him, if you'll get up, if you won't stay, if you won't stay in that de- defeated state that many Christians walk in, if you, don't, if you won't stay stuck in that yesterday that people are, are ate up with. And I believe the Lord wants to reveal something to us this morning um, one of the things that I've found about failure, and I'm talking to you from a lot of experience in failure, because I've, I've had a lot of failure in my life, um, probably more in the realm of ministry than anywhere else. And so I guess you, if you need to fail somewhere, that would be a good place to fail, because I'd rather fail there than with my family. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I feel like I've failed some as a, as a father. Obviously, I've failed as a husband, uh, but God has been merciful and graceful and, and helped me keep going. And even in, in the realm of ministry, um, He's helped me to, to keep getting back up. But here's the thing about failure that's is difficult for us that I've discovered. is Failure is, well, is, is, to, is close to your identity. You know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be, but let's just face it, it is. When we fail at something, especially when we fail at something that's, that we feel like we're supposed to do, it affects us it, because, um, you know, a lot of what we are as people has something to do with what we do. Okay, we, let's just get real here, okay? I know for a fact who I am in Christ. I know that I'm a son. All those things are settled in me, but I am not impervious to f- having these feelings of embarrassment, are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? We get embarrassed when we get when we fail. It's embarrassing to fail. Let's be real. If you're not embarrassed when you fail, it's something really. You're not in touch with reality in some ways. It's embarrassing. There's a certain amount of shame that will try to attach itself to you, and that's why people draw back. Is because sometimes our identity gets too wrapped up in what we're doing. You hear what I'm saying to you? Sometimes it's, there's more into that than it should be. And that's really where, you know, when you fail, it can serve you to loose your identity from all of that. So failure is, is dangerous. It's dicey for us. It can take you out, and it takes people out all the time. But from the Bible we see, people who failed very miserably, that, that it didn't take them out. Are you all with me this morning? That was just my little introduction. 
But I've, I've discovered something, okay? I've discovered, uh, and this is really what I want to talk to you about. Um, I wish I could help you not fail. Uh, recently, I was having a conversation with a younger, a younger pastor, and he was telling me what was going on in his life, and, and I was thinking, I wish I could really help him. I wish I could get him out of where he's at. And I heard the Lord say to me, if you did that... It would hurt him, even if you could do that. It's that old proverbial, uh, you know, the, cat, the c- caterpillar trying to come out of the cocoon. You know what I'm saying? Or the chick trying to come out of the egg. If you help them, it destroys them. And, and I even said, oh, I'll be able to trust this guy like never before after he gets through this. Because he's going through a time in his ministry where his ministry is really failing badly. And, you know, and it's destroying him. It's eating him up. And, but he's going to keep going, he, and, he's, and I see that in him, this is the thing that's really going to launch him into his ultimate purpose and destiny is this, this time of failure that he's experiencing. So, you know, I want to read this verse to you, okay? Talk to you a little bit about it. It's 11, uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, this is what I found out in my life, uh, about how to succeed. Y'all want to know how to succeed, right? Who wants to get up in the morning and say, oh, I, I think I'm going to fail. Oh, I'm, I'm not nervous about preaching today because I want to just be miserable today. I want to be boring. I want to, you know, not, you know, say some bad things. I just, I'm planning on failing today. Nobody, nobody in their right mind gets up and goes to work goes in and does their job or goes in to try to raise their kids or goes to the grocery store or whatever they're doing. Nobody's looking, planning to fail. We're planning to succeed, right? Are y'all with me? So one of the things that's going to help you succeed, okay, this is really basic, okay, is this verse right here, okay? Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. Y'all know what the yoke is. It was a wooden thing. They would take these animals. They would take a a trained animal, and they would yoke him. They would put it around his neck with an untrained animal. You hear what I'm saying to you? And so wherever the trained animal went, the untrained animal would have to go with him. That's how, in those days, they taught animals how to, you know, do what they were supposed to do, is they they would pair him up with a trained animal. And so Jesus was saying, in a sense, this. If you want to succeed in life, you need to be yoked with me. Okay? You need to hook up with me. And so wherever I go, you go. And so here's, here's a little thing that will help you. When you wake up in the morning, we can you're talking about making a, a positive confession. Lord, I'm yoked to you today. Wherever you go, I'm going, and wherever I go, you're going. And when you begin to pay attention on the inside of you, that little thing that will rise up as you go through your day, we're like, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. That's being yoked to the Lord. And if you listen to that little thing, you'll learn to walk with the Lord. And, you know, here's another beautiful thing about that, okay? You don't hear this too much in the church world these days. You hear a lot about intimacy, Right? And how to have a relationship with the Lord, and, which is amazing. But we never talk much that this is one of the greatest keys to relationship. 
this verse right here. Because those animals' faces were right next to each other. Are y'all hearing this? And so if you want a relationship with the Lord, if you want to be successful in life, Jesus is laying it out here in this one verse. This one verse, he's telling you, this is how this, this life is meant to be lived. This is how your Christian life is meant to be lived. Are y'all okay? Y'all looking at me frowning. Some of you are frowning at me. <laughs> okay? I love, I love relationship stuff. Some of the intimacy stuff that the church talks about is a little weird to me. I mean, I think for women it's a little easier to embrace than men. But I'll tell you what, I can see this. I can see this as a way of really coming close to the Lord, is being yoked with the Lord. Isn't that amazing how God has designed things to work in our life? Well, guess what that word is right there? Guess what that is, what I just described to you? It's what I call discipleship. That, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. So... For us, be yoked with me. There's a practical side to that. Okay? There's a very practical outworking of being yoked to Jesus. And that is, is by, by you and I becoming true disciples of Jesus in a practical way, but also allowing ourselves to be discipled by people that God brings into our lives. In fact, one of the, the what we call the Great Commission is a commandment to disciple. And see, I think a lot of times we're trying to have this relationship with this communion with the Lord when we're really not doing some basic things He's asked us to do. Okay? And in terms of discipleship. And I want you to hear this. If we want to have success in life, if we want to grow spiritually... If we want to have success in our relationships with other people, if we want to have success in our ministry, if we want to have success in our homes, this is a major key for it. It's a major. If we want to have this intimacy with the Lord, it's going to happen as we walk with Him and in the, in the practical sense, the people that He brings into our lives. Uh, here's what a friend of mine sent me this week. Uh, he, was, he said this, Wouldn't it be great that, that we did not have to fail to really grab hold of wisdom. Isn't that a good question? He said, Byron, is there any shortcut to this? I'm like, dude, I have never found a shortcut. And I have looked for shortcuts all the time. And, this is, and he also sent me this as a definition of a mentor, which is a disciple. A mentor is one who is wise from his failures, okay, wise from his failures and humbled by his successes. Are y'all wise from his failures? Humbled by his success. There's nothing worse than being around a person who's successful and they have this little bit of arrogance that's coming at you. Have y'all, have y'all experienced that? And it's like, oh, this person is bad. They're bad when they're successful and they're bad when they're broken. Okay? They're not humble. You know what I'm saying? When they're being successful. Just, there's no humility and it's just irritating to be around them. But it's also irritating when their life's not going good because they're miserable. And they're making everybody miserable around them. Does anybody want to be go to your pity party? Nobody wants to go to your pity party. You know? Don't invite me there. That's how people feel because you're so miserable. But then when you're so prideful, it's that same abrasion. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? Ooh, Lord. Wise from his failures. It's a time for, for the wisdom of God to be released into the earth. And, and so... I hope this is coming off for you. Um, so here's what I want to do, and I have the time to do it this morning, is 
I want to tell you about, I want to tell you a story from the Bible, okay? Let me tell you this story about a person in the Bible of how they failed miserably, but how God turned them into a success, okay? And then when I finish it, I want to tell you something, because what, I'm not just telling you a story just because of the story, but I'm going to tell you this because this is something that God used in my life to completely turn my life around, okay? Completely changed the whole trajectory of my life when I heard this in 1977. So that's old. Yeah. It's been a while. I've heard a version of this. Um, so, are y'all, can y'all do this? Okay. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a bunch of scriptures about this person because his, his life is not clear in the Bible. It's kind of, you know, here, there, here, there, verses about him. And I'll comment briefly on them, okay, just to sort of get you, let you get a picture of this person. And the person is a Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, okay? Uh, better known in some circles as John Mark. And so it's a picture of his life and how he went from being a massive failure to becoming a person who wrote one of the Gospels. That's pretty big, right? And so I'll, the first time we, we mentioned him, we find him in the Bible, his home, you will discover his home was a center his home was a center of Holy Spirit activity in the, in the church at Jerusalem. That's our first introduction, Acts 12, 11, and 12. Peter had been in prison, remember? And he was on these guards and these angels miraculously delivered him. Where does he go? He goes to a house, a house of a woman named Mary who happened to be the mother of this boy named John Mark. It says, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. That's our introduction. John Mark in this house, in this beautiful place. John it was, his, it was his Hebrew name. Mark was his, his uh, Roman name. Possibly he had a Roman dad. Possibly they were a, a, a people of means because they did have a servant if you, named Rhoda. If you read the whole story, she came to the gate. Oh, Peter's angel's out there. You remember that? And so that's, that's where it was at. He, that's our introduction. This young man growing up right here in this house where the church met, where the, where the leaders of the church went. Where the, so he was, on the, he was with a family that was on the inner circle of what God was doing in Jerusalem at that time. He was part of the inner circle. He was witnessing a move of God. And he had a, a, a cousin, we'll discover a little bit later, a cousin named Barnabas, who, as we well know, Barnabas was one of the major players in the New Testament church. He was so, he, so he had this amazing family. It's like he was, you know, he was born with a silver spoon spiritually in his mouth. You, you know what I'm talking about? He, he, everything was given to him. He had this great thing. And so... So there we go. Uh, second mentions in Acts 12, verse 25. There had been a famine. See, at this point in time, Barnabas and Paul were living in Antioch. There was this move, there was this sudden, there was a little shift away from Jerusalem to Antioch. And there was a prophet named Agabus came and prophesied about a drought that was going to cover much of that part of the world. And the church at Antioch said, hey, we're going to help the brothers at Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, because we, you know, we owe everything to them. We want to make sure they took up. Isn't it beautiful that they didn't get scared like Americans do when you hear bad news? Their first response when they, a drought's coming, take up an offering. 
Uh, oh, a drought's coming. Let's take up an offering. Don't you wish we were like that? Instead of, oh gosh, go to the grocery store. Get water, get this, get that. We've got to protect ourselves. We've got to dig in. That's an American mentality. But the church in the, back then was, let's take up an offering. If people are going to suffer, we've got to take care of these suffering people. And so they sent Paul and they sent Barnabas over back to Jerusalem to take the money that they had taken up to give them. And while they was there hanging out, it was time for them, it says, in, in, to go back to Antioch. And Barnabas and Paul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry of giving the money. And they took, listen, and they also took with them John, who was surnamed Mark. Isn't that cool? They obviously saw the grace of God on his life. They also saw the blessing on his life and thought, this dude... Let's take him back where we're going so he can be a part of what we're doing. There's potential in this guy. So he had this favor working on him. Isn't that beautiful? Are y'all with me? Third mention. Uh, if you read Acts 13, that's when the explosion happened in Antioch. I'm talking about spiritual explosion. They were worshiping, fasting. The Holy Spirit started talking to them about mission and Set apart Barnabas and Paul, or Saul was what they were calling them, for the work I called them, and they were being sent from there to go into the rest of the world. And so, in other words, the gospel was getting released to the world. And so we have the first missionary journey in the scriptures, where uh, Paul's first missionary journey, where he was sent out by the church to go preach in places where they hadn't heard it. It's just it. And it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis... They preached the word of God in the synagogues. Listen, they also had John as their assistant. Are you following that? So this is, this is where he's at. Not only was he back there in Jerusalem in the epicenter, not only did he have favor from two of the greatest men in the New Testament, now he don't just have favor with them. They are bringing him to help them in their ministry. Are you all with this? This is amazing, really, when you start thinking. It's amazing what was happening in this guy's life. He had, this, he had this anointing all over him. He had this favor from God all over him. And so they go out and they begin to do this stuff. And, and then the fourth mention, oh, things started going bad on him. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Pathos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, listen, and John departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That sounds like just a little glitch, a little thing. Oh, well, he left then. It was time for him to go do something. No, that word departing from them is a very intense negative word in the original line. In other words, it could be more like John deserted them in their hour of need. John was in the foxhole and ran. John left them in a lurch. John left them wounded. John left them hurt. That's, That's what that's really saying. John ran away. John was a chicken. John couldn't stand up to it. John failed. That's what it's telling us. This guy's a failure. Okay. So Barnabas and Baal, somehow they shook the dust off them and got up and went on and finished their mission, and it was amazing. They started churches everywhere. People were healed. People were delivered. You know, you can read all that in Acts 14, 15. And then uh, the fifth mention of John Mark... uh, after some day, you know, they went back to Antioch, and they were hanging out there, uh, you know, after some period of time. It says some days, which means it could be, it was not like a couple weeks like we would think. It was a long time. Woo! Let me catch my breath. Are y'all okay? Y'all following this? And then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back. Oh, Paul had a mission's heart in him. Oh, he was not going to sit in church all the time. 
he got itchy. Like, oh, I need to find out. We started these churches. What's going on with them? We need to go back. I got to get out there. His calling was out there. So he said, Barnes, we got to go back. Let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Isn't that heart beautiful? Now, Barnabas, listen, Barnabas, cousin Barnabas, old good cousin, was determined to take with him John called Mark. He was determined to. In other words, his, his mind, he deserves to go. He deserves a second chance, Paul. We got to do it. He blew it. I agree. He's bad. He's mad, But we got to help this guy. He deserves our help. Well, but Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul said, no way. This guy is done. In my eyes, I'm through with him. He's not going with me. He's just flat not going to do it. Now, we don't really think about Paul. We think about Paul, this amazing, graceful guy. But Paul had a mission. He had a dream from God. And he was not going to let anything or anybody stand in the way. In his mind... John Mark was not an asset but a liability. In fact, he was so much a liability, uh, Paul was willing to separate with Barnabas over it. That's, that's how intense he felt about it. That's how intense Barnabas felt about it. So there was this major separation. Uh, then the, the contention became so sharp. I mean, we're talking about two of the most godly men on earth ready to come to blows over John Mark, ready to fist fight him. That's, that's what all that, if you read that, it'd be like two, like, well, two of the best, most spiritual men on earth getting in a big fight over something, and your witness is like, what the heck? You'd be embarrassed. You'd feel bad for them. That's what this, these words mean in the original. So they parted from one another, in other words, they divided. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, which, by the way, this is the last time that Barnabas is mentioned by name in the book of Acts right there, the last time. Isn't that something? Because so Paul was on to something, okay? Paul was on to something. A lot of times in the church, we, we find this human compassion that gets in the way with God's purposes. And we have to be very careful. What we call it, unsanctified mercy. Anybody ever been involved in unsanctified mercy? Oh, Lord, it's the word. It'll cost you money. <laughs> It'll cost you money. I know all about unsanctified mercy. I can tell you, I can tell you in my checkbook. I can take you to places in my checkbook where unsanctified mercy, money was spent that should not have been spent. Hours were given that should not have been given because God was doing something else. And I was too stupid to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, don't get involved. I'm doing something. All you're going to do is prolong it. And you're going to lose some money over this, son. I've given people money. I've loaned people money and then was offended when they didn't pay me back. And the Lord said, well, you did it and didn't ask me so. You just need to count, you need to, you need to count it off as a loss and let them go. Even one, one time I gave this person some money. I, I, this is the truth. And they came into a sizable inheritance. I'm not talking about a couple grand. I'm talking about multiples, multiple grand. And I was thinking, they're going to pay me back. And it wasn't that much money, but it was a lot of money to me. You know what I'm saying? For me, to what I loaned them. They never even spoke to me again. <laughs> and I was mad for so long, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Over a couple hundred dollars. But I needed that $200. <laughs> uh, and Paul chose sauce and departed, being commended. See, all this is by the brethren to the grace of God. Notice that, that Barnabas and them didn't get that commendation. And went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthened churches. So that was... The last time we heard. Now, as we're going into Colossians, 
Uh, thank you for writing all these scriptures down. That was a lot of scriptures to write down. Uh, here's Paul writing the, the, the letter to the to Colossian churches, uh, to the churches there, Ephesus, all that those churches. And Art, Articulus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark. Listen, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, this is 18 years later, by the way. 18 years later. And so Paul's saying... These guys are greeting you. Uh, Mark. Uh, remember Mark 18 years ago? And then he asked And Oh, by the way. Oh, just by the way. About whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, Paul had to specifically state to the church there, Listen, he was a bad guy. I blackballed him. I didn't want anything to do with it. But now he's different. So I'm telling you, receive him. It would be like Billy Graham when he was alive saying... Marlon Magusu is a bad guy. And tell the whole church, have nothing to do with that man. He was a marked man. But then here's Paul 18 years later saying, no, no, he's a good guy now. You receive him. He's, I will, you welcome him. I give my approval to him. Are y'all following this? Okay. And then in Philemon 1, 23 through 24, sort of the same thing, but uh, he, Paul lists Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, so do Mark, uh, Articus, Demas, Lugus, and my fellow laborers. He's saying that not only he's coming, he's somebody who works with me. So something shifted. Something happened in, in John Mark's life between him and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas breaking up to Paul talking to the Colossians and Paul talking to Philemon. All right, let's read one more Paul verse 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. Be diligent. This is at the end of Paul's life. He's an old man. He's done. He knows his time. He's going to die soon. This is really what's happening. Am I going too fast? Be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas. This is another story. Old Demas, who was a worker, has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Uh, let me ask you all some questions. I just want to take a moment about that little phrase, having loved this present world. That's a warning in the Bible for believers. When we love this world more than we love Jesus' world. And see, what it ultimately will do to you, this is what it ultimately did. This is the last, Demas has departed. Having, that's the last thing we hear of Demas. But you, you see what I'm saying? God's trying to tell us something. He's not trying to put a bad word on Demas. He's not just trying to expose Demas. He's trying to say, if you love this present world too much... It will cause you to divide away from your destiny. It will cause you to break away from your purpose. It will cause you loss in your life. That's why, he's, that's, why that's in the Bible. It's just not to expose and humiliate someone. It's to record forever. People who love this present world, this will not end well for you. And I want to say something. There's people in this room right now, you love this present world too much. It has too much of a grip in your heart. Its claws are in you. And it will not end well for you. It will not end well for you. It didn't end well for Demas. And Demas was right there with Paul, working along Paul the Apostle's side. One of the greatest ministers ever. And it didn't end well for him. I know that's kind of sobering, but every once in a while we need to hear something sobering, right? (laughs) I think we do. Ooh, mercy, Lord. And those who don't, that doesn't apply, you're all right. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. 
Listen, get Mark and bring him with you. Listen, for he is what? Useful to me for ministry. Paul, listen, get this, at the end of his life, who's he calling for? He's calling for the guy who he rejected. He's calling for the guy who let him down. He's calling for the guy who was a waste in Paul's eyes. Now he's saying, no, he's useful. I need him. You know, think of the gravity of being at the end of your life and you're asking for certain people that you, that you wanted there with you. That puts weight on this. It wasn't just Paul saying, yeah, he can, he can preach good or he can pray good. No, I need him. He's useful. He can help me carry on what I'm supposed to carry on. It's powerful, isn't it? So something happened. That's the whole thing. Now, that's, something happened to John Mark. Something happened to him. He was a failure. He started out with a silver spoon, then he became this big failure. He became this big letdown. He became this big disappointment. Okay? Something shifted in his life. Let's read what shifted. 1 Peter 5, 12 through 13. This is Peter now. You know, old Peter. Good old Peter, right? Now, if anybody was a failure, right? Not many of us can say this, that we absolutely denied Jesus with cursing. Right? I mean, you know, Jesus, he, Jesus, Peter had this, 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 this rooster revelation. The cock's going to crow, boy, and you're going to de- deny me three times before the thing even, you know, lifts his voice to wake people up in the morning. He knew failure better than probably anybody in the New Testament. Peter did. Okay? And so, uh, I, he said, I consider Sylvanius our faithful brother... I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. Listen, listen now. So does who? So does who? Tell me. Mark what? My son. Mark my son greets you. So just imagine this in your mind. This is, this is the Byron Wicker filling the blanks in the Bible. Going back to, John Mark has failed and, re- and run away, afraid, or whatever, wherever he ran, wherever he left Paul and his cousin in such a bad way, so, and offended Paul so bad, and hurt Paul so bad. There he is. He goes back home and with his tail between his legs. Have you ever went somewhere with your tail between your legs and just embarrassed? And just, you don't even want to look up. Have you ever been there? You know what that feels like? That feels terrible. I have failed sometimes, and I just didn't. I was such a failure one time in my life. I was working. I remember walking by in the lobby of the building I was in. There was where the elevators. I had all these mirrors, and I saw myself out, glanced out of my eyes, and I saw myself like this walking, and I heard the Lord say, Son, lift your head up. You have nothing to be ashamed of. But in my life, I felt so shameful and such a failure. That God had to say, it's even affecting your stature. It's affecting the way you walk. It's affecting the way you see the world. You're just looking down. You won't even want to look people in the eyes because you feel so shameful and humiliated. And it wasn't a moral failure. It was a failure of what I feel like God had called me to do. And I hit my face and splattered and splattered mess on everybody around me. And drug people down around me as I was trying to... So I just imagine this scene of Peter showing up at Mary's house. John Mark's mom died and knocks on her. Hey, oh, Peter, so great to see you. Hey, Mary, great to see you. Hey, is uh, John Mark around? 
Oh, yeah, Peter, you know he's not doing good. Actually, he's sitting in there watching CNN right now. That's all he does is CNN and video games. That's how he spends his days. And he's miserable. He's miserable. He's depressed. He's ashamed. Yeah, I notice he don't, don't really show up in our meetings no more. Even when we're meeting here, he never comes out of the room. I've heard all about what he did. Can I talk to him? Thank you. Talk to me. Oh, yeah, Peter. He'll talk to you. Everybody will talk to you, Peter. Everybody loves you, Peter. You know, because they know you're real, Peter. They know you're not going to throw no religion on them. So he goes and knocks on the door. Hey, John Mark, how's it going, man? Uh, fine. <laughs> I'm good. How about you, dude? <laughs> I'm really good, man. You know, I'm really good. I've had some good things happen in my life, John Mark, but I've had some bad things happen in my life. And I know how to get, I know how to get out of bad things because I've been in bad things. And if you're willing, I'll help you get out of bad things. If you want to get out, I'll help you. But John Mark, this is going to be up to you. Okay? This is up to you. This is not up to me. Okay? This is in your lap. If you want out, if you want to rediscover your purpose and destiny, I will help you do it. But here's the, here's the thing is, you're going to have to come to me and you're going to have to pursue it. I'm not going to pursue you. I've pursued you now. My door's open to you. When you're ready to come, come on. Well, I'll think about it. You know, so he thought about it and decided to do it. Okay? And so he became a disciple of Peter. And that's why Peter called him my son. He became like a spiritual son. And Peter was able to, to walk him out of where he was at. And help him find his vision again. And help him find what was already in there. And help him recover his dignity. Because lots of times when we fail, we need somebody to help us recover our dignity. Because we lose a lot of dignity. And that's important to the Lord. And he not only helped him recover his dignity, he started teaching him what he knew and started giving him what he had. In other words, Peter became that old trained animal and John Mark became the young untrained animal and John Mark walked where Peter went okay that was Jesus fulfilling his word about my yoke is easy John Mark and I'm going to yoke you with Peter because I'm in Peter and he's going to show you how to do this practically isn't that beautiful that's just the most beautiful story well this is what happened to me I was a Christian for two years I think it's hard for me to remember all these details and um, the first year was great. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't necessarily great because of God. It was great because of Becky. Okay? I was in love with Becky, you know, and she was very spiritual as a young person. Okay? When Becky was a young person, she was a 16-year-old girl who had a lot of favor on her life and, could, and people loved and... You know, so she was just amazing. She had this great anointing on her life. And so we had a relationship and got married while I, you know, in my first early Christian life, which sometimes I might like, don't do that. I wouldn't tell anybody to do what I did. I'm glad I did what I did. But then this, after we got married, you know, life settles in. And honestly, 
I was really not doing well as a, as a believer. I really wasn't. I was struggling in my faith. It wasn't that I didn't believe and didn't want to follow the Lord. I really did. I just didn't want anything to do with, with Christianity. You know what I'm saying? I, I hated going to church because I felt so shameful in church. I felt like I was the worst person in the room because of what was inside of me. So I would walk in the room. I would just feel terrible about myself. You know, I felt rejected. Nobody was rejecting, but I felt all of that because I was half backslidden half the time. I was so tempted to do things, to go back and do my old life. I, that, that was just, that was my battle. And I didn't get anything out of anything that happened in church. I didn't engage in worship, okay? I would just sit through it or, or stand through it daydreaming. I would sit through preaching daydreaming. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. That's where I was at, and I felt miserable, and I wanted out. But Becky wasn't getting out, okay? She was, she was, she was 110% in. And so if I was going to be with her and, you know, live in, with her, I, she wasn't going to let me do that. I mean, honestly, God sometimes puts people in your life that are they're not going to let you go your own way. They're going to fight you, and if you go your own way, they, you'll pay for it. And I knew that with Becky, I knew that she was just not going to let me become some backslidden, worldly, half-carnal, you know, believer. And so I just kept going with her, but I didn't want to go. Until one night, this guy came to the church and preached this message about John Mark. And the whole time he was preaching, I felt like a knife was being stuck in my heart. I just felt so broken. Because I could so relate to how John Mark probably felt and all that. And I could relate to the the shame and disappointment that I felt like I brought to everybody. Because I felt that my whole life. I felt like I disappointed one person after the other. And so I I could really feel all that. I could feel what John Mark was feeling. And it it was hard to hear all that. But I felt this thing cutting at me when this guy shared this. And at the end, he said this. He said, everybody in this room should have a John Mark in their life. And everybody in this room should have a Peter in their life. That's what he said. And he said, I'm inviting you to find those people in your life. And that's the, that was the turning point for me. I decided that night, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find somebody in this church that I think is more spiritual than me, which is be everybody. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but somebody I could halfway relate to, and I'm going to ask them, will you disciple me? I'm just going to ask them. I wasn't going to sit around and wait on somebody to drop out. Of the, oh, Byron, look at you. We know you're struggling. How about, you know, maybe that's what John Mark did. Maybe he went to Peter. Maybe he knocked on Peter's door. But I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to wait for, for a Peter to come to me. I was going to go find one. So I went and found this guy and said, listen, what that guy just shared, it was, it was still there. I need that. I desperately need it in my life. Will you, will you help me with my walk with the Lord? Will you help me become everything God's called me to be? And this dude like, yeah, heck yeah. And it was just like this. God at that moment began, it's like a turning point in my life spiritually. Is Me and that guy, we started meeting together. We worked out together. We went out to eat together. We just hung out together. We confessed our sins. He confessed his sins to me. I confessed mine. We just talked and talked about life. And 
we got together as couples, and man, it just changed my life. It changed my life. Suddenly, I was yoked with the Lord. Suddenly, I was living out that Matthew 11. Suddenly, Jesus was right there next to my cheek. Suddenly, I wasn't trying to get close to the Lord. The Lord was right there. And he'd always been right there because he's in here, but right there. You hear what I'm saying? And so, that was like the tournament. And so, I began to grow. I began to, all of a sudden, it was like I wasn't mad at everybody because they were more spiritual than me. And I didn't feel rejected by them no more. I was rejecting them some (laughs) because they weren't spiritual enough. (laughs) Just kidding. I started worshiping the Lord for the first time in my life, really worshiping Him. I started loving things I didn't love before. I started loving being around Christian people. All of a sudden, I didn't want to go out and get high and all that crazy stuff. I didn't want to drink no more. I didn't want to do all that stuff that was so pulling me back into the darkness. All of a sudden, like, I don't want to do that stuff, man. You know, I don't want to do that. There's something more important in my life, and it's this person. It's Christ. And here's the beautiful thing in my life. Naturally and spiritually, God has been faithful since that one request of mine. He has been faithful to send people to me over and over and over in my life that have impacted my life hugely. I'm talking about even in the natural. I had a boss one time, and he said, Byron, if you will do what I tell you and listen to me, I will make you the best here. He said, but it ain't going to be easy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the best. I didn't realize. And I remember looking at my other guy. We were young engineers, and this guy was relentless. He was demanding. I could do nothing right, and I just, I just squirm. But you know what I got? At some point, I realized, this guy loves me. And he was a Hindu. He was a, a man from India. He was a Hindu. But I realized he loves me and cares about me. And he's going to do his best to make me successful as an engineer. And he did. He made me real successful. He had all this favor. He was a high-up guy. Everybody listened to what he said. And the last thing he did before he left, he said, you are going to be promoted. When I leave, you'll be promoted. You mark my words. And he left, and I was promoted. And it was because he discipled me. He took time out, and he wore me out and burned me up over and over and over. I couldn't... I was looking at some of the work my fellow engineers was doing, and they were getting away with murder. And I was so offended, like, why are y'all getting away to do that? He will never let me do that. I'm glad he didn't. That was... That was uh, in the world. So you can see this can apply. I'm trying to tell you this can apply anywhere in your life. But I'm going to tell you something. Spiritually, God has sent amazing people into my life. People that I would never have access to that have loved me, loved me and gave me what they had. And it's all because of this. It's because I made a decision that night that I was no longer going to live for myself. I was no longer going to be nominal as a Christian. I was going to live what Jesus asked us to do, to yoke myself to Jesus in a very practical and real way and learn how to walk with Jesus and let Jesus, through that person, teach me how to walk and teach me how to do and teach me how to live my life. Okay? And so I I count that for years. I mean, for years. I can't tell me how many years. 
I would go through John Mark's life in my mind over and over and over. I'm talking about for years. Every week I would think through that because I knew that I was somewhere in this process. I knew that I was somewhere in this walk. That there would be a day would come where, like Paul said, he's useful. There'd be a day would come because I felt a call in my life. I felt destiny on my life. And I knew there would be a day would come when God would look at me and says, yes, you're useful. Why are you useful? It ain't, it's not just a call. It's not just a bet destiny. It's not just a purpose. It's not just learning things. It's, it's because you allowed yourself to be yoked. And you allowed yourself to walk this out day in and day out in your life. And that was the turning point. And I've had some other major turning points, you know, in my life, like the revelation of the Father's love, which you got to have that. But, man, if you could get this revelation of discipleship, of you saying to yourself, I'm going to be discipled, and I'm going to be a discipler. That's what God has called me to do. He hasn't called me to just live my... And guess what will happen with your dreams? Guess what will happen with the things that you want in your life? Guess what will happen with your family when you make this thing, this thing a priority? Suddenly God begins to go to work in your family. Suddenly God begins to go to work in your relationships. Are y'all believing this? You're releasing the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. You want relationships that are healthy and beautiful? What I'm telling you. You want to succeed in business? You want to succeed in life? You want to succeed as a parent? Well, this is the way. You walk in this because you're going to learn all of that. All of that's going to happen for you because Jesus designed it this way. He said, take my yoke and learn from me. This is not just some spiritual woo-woo thing. It's practical and it's real and it's what he has called us to do. And so in my mind, the church is not doing that. We are not doing it. Many of you in this room are not doing it, especially men. You hide, you go and, and, and sit in your place wondering why God's not doing anything with you. Well, I can tell you, if you're an older man, go find a younger man or somebody younger spiritually and start pouring into them. And you'll find God all of a sudden's doing stuff in your life. If you're a younger man, find somebody younger. You know, I'm just telling you, this, this, this works. It don't work just because it worked for me. It works because Jesus says it works. And this is what he's called us to do. So I want to exhort you about this today. That we need to be, be, that we need to become these people. We need to say yes to the Lord on this. You know, I was thinking when Ryan was up here earlier, I'm done, if you're wondering. <laughs> when Ryan was saying, you know, about our past, I thought, whoa, that's so beautiful, our past. You know what Bob Jones told me one time? He said, hey, Byron, if you're having a bad meeting, just remember what I did and everything will change for you right then. Remember my goodness. And I, I love that, what Ryan was saying. Then he, I love that he shifted the future. You know, what, or what are we looking for the Lord to do? You see, I think, here's my real belief is I'm totally healed on the inside, but I still have issues, okay? I'm I'm healed, I'm delivered. I mean, everything's broken off of me. It happened at the cross. I'm just learning how to walk this out, and I need to yoke myself 
I need to yoke myself with him so that can work out in my life, so that it can manifest in my life, so the spirit man in me can come forth and be everything I'm supposed to be. So here's what I want. I hope, oh, Lord, somebody have an impartation of this this morning. That's what I pray, Lord. You, you have a little bit more knowledge about John Mark. That's not going to do you a dogged bit of good if you don't do anything with it. It's like every other message. If it's just in your mind and not in your heart. And so I want to encourage the older people in this room. You carry something. You carry years. You carry years of failure. You carry failure in your life. Now you can let God take that failure and you can pour into somebody else and you can see success. You know? You really can. That's how it's going to manifest. Especially guys, I may have said that, guys are bad about withdrawing. Don't withdraw. Make yourself. Make yourself engage with other people. Ask the Lord to show you somebody this morning if you feel like you need to be discipled. If you're not being discipled, say, Lord, show me somebody. Is there somebody in this room, Lord, that I look at that I admire? And go to them, will you help me? Just help me. Please help me. And I promise you, God will go to work in your life. If you're an older person, you have something to do. Look around and say, God, show me somebody that the things that I carry that I could give away to them. Because, Lord, I'm just kind of bored with my life. My life doesn't seem to be going nowhere, Lord. That'll break that boredom off of you. That'll break that. And I'm going to tell you something about the younger people. We think the younger generation doesn't want what the older generation. That's a big lie from the devil. There's so many younger people that are desperate for us. Desperate. If you'd just be willing to do this, if you'd be willing to just give them what you have, just pour out. So let me just pray. Stand up. Are y'all, oh, Lord, are y'all okay? Yes, Lord. Jesus is a discipler. That's what he is. Mm. Lord, lift your hands to the Lord if you want to as a sign of surrender. And just say, Lord, I'm surrendering to your will this morning. And this is what I want in my life, Lord. I want this in my life. Mm. I think I may have told you this, but, you know, where I am in my life right now, a couple things. One, as people ask me, Byron, what are you going to do when you're not pastoring a church no more? I, I tell them this all the time. You know what? I don't know what I'm going to do exactly. I know a few things, but I'll tell you one thing I know I'm going to do for the rest of my life until I close my eyes is I'm going to be discipling people. I'm not going to go and sit on my rear end and be bored and be miserable. I'm going to give away what God's given me for the rest of my life. I'm going to do it. I do know that. I do know that. And the other thing is, is I've discovered this about me. If I'm not receiving input from people who have something I don't have, or people who are more spiritual, or whatever the arena is, if I'm not receiving something, I feel like there's a lack in my life. That's how it feels to me. It feels lacking. There's something missing. If I'm not giving, if I'm not discipling now, I'm not happy. I've discovered it makes me happy when I'm, yeah. when I'm doing this. There's a joy that comes in me. And I discover my relationship with the Lord is more richer and more alive. That's what I discover. And I discover that some of the things that I thought were big deals and problems suddenly kind of take care of themselves. 
Like suddenly somebody came in and fixed that for me. I didn't have to do it. It was Jesus. So Lord, I just pray this morning for that you just that there's an impartation in this room, yes. a spirit of impartation yes. for discipleship, Lord. Just for discipleship, Lord, to be yoked with you, Lord. To be yoked with people that you called us to be yoked with. And to learn how to walk in ways we've never walked. And to be teachable and be students and be teachers and be leaders for those who need what we have, Lord. I just ask you to do that in Jesus' name. And I thank you.